Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. If you've been with us, you might be thinking, hold on, we already talked about Jonah. That's right, we're going to talk about him again. And we're going to talk about them. So today, today's title, or the title of today's message is The Wind, the Whale, and the Worm. And uh, honestly, I was not planning on talking about Jonah again in the series. I had another story all lined up to kind of end with a bang on. And, uh, and honestly, I, I had a pause this past week and thought, man, I don't know if this is the right direction and where God wants to end this thing. And I was, as I was thinking on it and praying on it, I just had this realization that for a number of weeks, God has been putting uh, the story of Jonah on my heart to come back to and to give one more word on it. And uh, and so I just thought, okay, let's change direction. Let's be kind of obedient to that, like, prompting. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to change course from what at least I thought. You didn't know it was a change course. But I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit led some things this week for this message. And I think it's good for you to know that. So we're finishing this series back in the strange and wacky story of Jonah, which I know makes some of you very happy, right? Who doesn't love some weird Jonah? So it's been a couple weeks since we talked about Jonah, so let me kind of uh, give you a quick refresher. Is anybody happy we're back in Jonah? I didn't feel any energy on that, but I, I, this is just for me, I guess. But I'm going to give a quick review. Jonah chapter 1, the prophet of God, right? We remember this story. He's told to go to Nineveh, which is a wicked and terrible place. And Jonah says, nah, not going. I'm going to head to the beach. And he heads in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he goes and gets on a boat. But God sends a great wind. Everyone say wind. wind. He sends a wind, kicks up a storm. And the sailors on the boat with Jonah think the storm is so bad that they're going to die Jonah says, you know what, this is all my fault. You just need to throw me in the sea. This will all be over. They say, we don't want to do that. They try their best, but they, they can't make it happen. So they end up eventually throwing him into the sea. And then chapter 1 ends with this crazy sentence. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter 2 then records Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. It's not a prayer of help. It's not a prayer of, God, get me out of this fish as fast as possible. Instead, it is a prayer of thanks. He literally says, thank you, God, for this fish. Thank you for grabbing my attention. Thank you for using a fish to rescue me from myself. How many of you guys know that you sometimes need rescued from yourself? And God will do crazy things sometimes to do that for you. Then chapter 2 ends with another crazy sentence. Verse 10 And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Mmm, delicious, right? Like this great visual image of Jonah, slimy and covered in fish vomit. He is given a second chance. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 says it this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Everyone say second time. How many are grateful that God is the God of the second, third, and tenth chance? He goes to the second time, and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah does it. He obeys. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches basically what is an eight-word sermon. Basically, it says, repent or die. <laughs> and the people of Nineveh actually respond to this word, and, the, and in the city, revival breaks out. You might remember this from a few weeks ago. 
But the, the Ninevites are comparable to Nazis, evil, terrible, godless place. But yet the people repent and they put on sackcloth. Remember, everyone was getting the sackcloth. The king, all the people, even all the animals were getting the sackcloth. Do you remember that? Cats and sackcloth. Like it was everywhere. Chapter 3 ends with a sentence. Chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they had done and had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we get this beautiful moment of God's mercy and love for the people of the city. And all of a sudden, they put on, I mean, there was this, they they put on the sackcloth, which I said earlier uh, in the series was like the clothes of repentance. And all of a sudden, God is forgiving them, right? And what we see is a pure and true revival happening in the city. And that's where we ended. So what happens next? What, what happens after this moment? Well, that's chapter 4. And this word I believe that God wants me to share with you today is from that chapter 4, verse 1. Let's get to it. It says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. That's a strange sentence. God saves a city. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is why I ran. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. He's like, I know who you are, God. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is a point where we all go, bro, Jonah, like seriously, give it a rest. Are you still angry that God is compassionate? And apparently the answer is yes. He is very upset. He says, I'd rather die than to see you save these people. So what happens when the bad guys become the good guys all of a sudden? When God's grace is so dramatic and so good that the people who you thought would never, ever, ever receive God's love get it. For some of you, you're like, I'm thankful because that was me. And others of you are like, yeah, that's a hard one sometimes for me. And this was a hard one for Jonah. This moment reveals that Jonah was holding out hope for God to do like a Sodom and Gomorrah on Nineveh. He's like, you know, take that place out, God. Now vaporize those sinners, God. That's what he's like. Where's your, where's your, where's your hailstorms, God? Where's your fury, God? Like send a meteor. Let's, let's flatten this place. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's wanting. How many of you know we have a little bit of Jonah in us? How many of us struggle to show grace to people we disagree with? How many of us struggle to have love for people that we would rather just easily judge? It could be anybody. It could be even different ethnicities or people that are, act differently than us different political views. Here's what I would know. The evidence in our culture suggests that we become angry at people we don't agree with or people we feel very different from. God's like, "Ah, yeah, I'm not that way. Verse four. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So I want you to imagine, Jonah goes out, east of the city, sets up a lawn chair, and he starts watching. Why? Why is he doing that? 
Well, God, he's like, listen, I'm still angry, and I believe that I'm right, and you'll see. So he wants to literally watch this, the city because he believes the Ninevites will eventually turn back to their evil ways. And then he'll get a front row seat at God doing what he thinks he should do and God sending that meteor to take out the city. But instead, God keeps working. He keeps chiseling. He keeps loving on Jonah. He doesn't give up on Jonah, which is so interesting. This book is about this guy named Jonah in his heart, more so than a city that was far from him that God had mercy for. Listen to this, verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. Everyone say happy. <laughs> I'm not feeling it today in this room, right? Happy. Seven people. Verse 7. We're going to get there. I believe it. I'm saying that over your life. We're going to get there today. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. To which we were like, what's up with that, God? Like, you gave me something good. I liked it. It made me happy. Then you took it away. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. To which we're like, seriously, God, I thought you loved me. <laughs> At that point, that's what Jonah's thinking, right? But now, but now I'm so hot, I'm about to faint. This is, a, this is what's going on. He wanted to die and said, I would, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Here we are again. Jonah is struggling. And though I have joked about Jonah through this series a little bit because there are some amusing extremes with his life, but if we just turn, you know, with a slight perspective shift, you know, sort of like turning a gem to see it in a different light, we slightly turn it and we see it from the perspective of Jonah and we have com and, and the perspective of compassion for Jonah, I think we start to get it. Like the struggle is real. And what I mean by that, how many of us can be happy one moment and despairing the next? Anyone in the room? How many of us, how many of us can get so angry at someone that we would like revenge? How many of us can be confused at what God is up to? How many of us can claim or can cry out, why is this happening? What is your plan? Why do I feel this way? What, what, why did you take that away from me, God? So many people feel despair so deeply in this life that they have the same question or the same comment or the same feeling that Jonah had. Maybe it's better if I weren't even here. Maybe I should just die. You just, you just slightly change this weird story and it becomes very serious very fast. The whole story, Jonah, if you think about it, has been questioning if he should live or die. That's how serious the struggle is. And I just thought I'd take a moment today and just say, like, literally pastorally to you, if anybody in this room has thoughts like that, I want you to hear that we understand that the struggle is real and that we are here for you 
And it might seem like, oh, we're really talking about this? Yeah, we are, because some people, no one talks to them about it. And I want you to hear me that the compassion and mercy of God is for you. God's love is unrelenting for you. He understands you. And God will take the time to care for you and meet you where you are. God will speak to every issue, every struggle, every hardship, and every bit of confusion because God is for you. And all I would say to you today as someone who will align with you in the sense that the struggle is real is that if you would be willing to put your defenses down and let God in, he will show you that he loves you and so will we. Can I get an amen from anybody in the crowd? (laughs) So Jonah is angry. And what's interesting is he's angry about a plant. Anyone ever been angry about something completely dumb? (laughs) Most of my anger bursts, bits of anger are about dumb things. When I, when I, uh, years ago, I read a fascinating book about this moment in the story of Jonah that I thought I'd share with you a little bit about. I have a picture of the book. It's called Jonah and the Worm. You love that, you love that cover or what? Like, that is an amazing cover. And here's the deal. It looks like a children's book because it is a children's book. And here's what's funny is I read it in seminary. Like, hey, we want you to read a children's book, and it's required reading. And I'm like, really? Okay. So I read this book, and I'll just say this. It is a theologically imaginative and brilliant work about the power and depth of God's work through his creation and the deeper story behind the story. I am not joking. If you want to go buy this book, I think it's $200 on Amazon. No joke, because it's that good. I think it's $200 because it's out of print, but we'll just say it's that good. What is God up to, and why is he doing it? I will sell it to you for 150 <laughs> So Briscoe, Jill Briscoe, who wrote this book, she writes the entire story from the perspective of the worm. That's mentioned in the story one time. Verse number seven. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. Everyone say worm. Worm. Mm. Which chewed the plant so that it withered. I just want you to know, this worm got mentioned in the Bible, which is more than you. So it is worthy of some time today. This worm had a moment in the sun. This is a, this is a, this is a big deal. He made the book. And the, the book, Jonah and the Worm, takes us readers on a journey with the worm. The book takes us on this adventure of how... The worm ended up at this place to chew this plant that Jonah was so deeply in love with. Obviously, it's just a story she made up, but it really is a rich and brilliant perspective about God. In the book, the worm was called by God, very much like Jonah was called by God. And God called this worm with a purpose. So, like I said, it's an adventurous story, and the worm in the story is affectionately called Little Worm which is a great name for a little worm. I like calling things what they are. It's a little worm. So Briscoe unfolds this epic adventure and challenging journey for little worm to get where he lived at the little pond 
to this place that he didn't know why he was being called to it, and there's a journey in between the pond and the place. And so he goes and he goes and meets all sorts of people along the way, and finally he gets to the place, and God, the word of God comes to the worm. And the word was, eat, little worm. And the worm says, surely not, Lord. You want me to eat that plant? I've never eaten a plant that big. I can't eat that plant. I'm too small. I can't do it. And God said to little worm, have you ever tried, little worm, to eat a plant that big? <laughs> little worm said, well, no, I haven't. So little worm musters up all the trust that a little worm can and finally takes a bite. And when little worm takes that bite, he can't believe how good the plant tasted. How many know that it's really, when you obey the Lord, it's like you get to taste and see how good the Lord is? <laughs> and so he keeps eating because it tasted so good until... He had completely eaten the entire root and stalk of this plant. And I just want to pause because this little theological perspective shift that Briscoe brought to my mind has blown my mind for years. God is doing way more in this world than we can ever fathom. He's moving through worms. And I know that sounds crazy, but to consider the length that God will go to teach us, to love us, to reach us. The number of things God works together for our good, all of creation is working together towards his purpose and his plan to bring him glory. And I think sometimes we say that, but we don't feel that. And this book made me feel that. All of creation bows to the creator, right? God will provide a worm. No, no, God will call a worm, Perhaps that worm did not eat this plant out of instinct. Maybe it was its destiny. Anybody with me, right? Maybe God will use his creation for his glory. And you're like, is this the point of the message? No, it's just a really good sidebar. In this story alone, God uses the wind. Everyone say the wind. We'll go ahead and say God uses the whale, even though it's a fish. Everyone say the whale. And God uses the worm. Everyone say worm. The wind the whale, and of course the worm. They all obeyed God. <laughs> and then we have Jonah, who, by the way, represents us. Struggling to obey, struggling to forgive, struggling to embrace the grace of God. We're going to keep going. Verse 10. Jonah is angry about this plant that is now withered and dead, right? Right? He's angry. Now, God took something away from him, and maybe we could say it this way. He took something away to reveal what was really going on underneath the surface, what was going on in the heart. And so sometimes we don't like God to take away, but he gives and he takes away for a great purpose. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left? And also many animals. That's the end of the book. <laughs> it's the worst ending of all time. It is like this odd story that has a more odd ending. And also many animals, question mark. 
Like, what kind of question, what kind of statement is that to end a book? I've thought about that many times, and also many animals, question mark. Like, really? What, this is the end of this amazing story that I've been reading? It's like God is doubling down on the whole creation thing in this moment, but if there's, this is one of the strange verses in the Bible, especially to end an entire book on. It's like going to the movies, and there's that ending that's very abrupt. It goes black, and you're like, hold on, that's not the ending, right? Surely I'm going to find out if she lives or dies. Surely I'm going to find out they get together, and then the credits roll, and you literally go, no! You know what I'm talking about? That's this book. What happens in the story? What happens to Jonah? What happens to Nineveh? Does Jonah turn around? Does Jonah get his life right? Does Jonah understand what God's trying to teach him? We don't know. But let's back up a little bit before we try and answer that question. I think this is a good place for ask another question for all of us to collectively ask, what's the deal with the plant, Jonah? Why are you so emotional about it? Like, I think that's interesting. Why does he get so worked up about a plant? Well, first of all, we cannot dismiss the miracle of the plant. We talk about the wind, the whale, and the worm. Oh, here's a plant that showed up overnight, grew up so large that it gave him shade. And by the way, it was growing in the Arabian desert where plants like this don't grow. And here is Jonah, and he loves the plant. It is giving him shade and comfort. He is happy about the plant. I'm sure it was a great plant. I'm sure he loved the plant. It gave him his shade so he could sit in his lawn chair and wait for God to Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh, right? Like, that's what he's thinking. Well, a few weeks ago when we talked about this book, I said Jonah, we talked about what kind of book Jonah is. Does anybody remember what kind of book it is? Prophetic book. Very good. We got like two people I heard that said that. Come see me after class. I got something for you. It's a prophetic book, meaning God has something to say to us through this book. This book's larger purpose for the reader is something important about themselves and about their future. It's, so it's a prophetic message to us. And this closing moment with Jonah is a prophetic statement and a question for Jonah. He says to Jonah, you care about the little plant. I just want you to know I care about people. This is what God is saying. He says, you care about temporary relief. I care about eternal rescue. He's like, you care about your comfort, and I care about the needs of an entire city. And I believe there's a prophetic word for us in this, and perhaps the ending to this book being so abrupt is very intentional because Jonah wasn't supposed to finish the story. You are. Many of us are not used to prophetic disruption in our life. So let me do my best <laughs> to translate for us, just even in chapter four, what's going on. I got three thoughts, three, three prophetically disruptive thoughts from Jonah. I'm, being, I'm spelling it out like little worm today. That's what we're doing. Three prophetically disruptive thoughts from Jonah. Number one, we pursue more plants, i.e. things, to make us happy. And I know that's not profound, but we pursue and run after more things in life to bring us happiness. And what's worse is we think and we don't understand that God is the giver of those things. And so we cling to them as if they're our own and they can never be taken from us. 
but God can take them from us for the greater purpose. So I just want to ask you a really direct question. What are you pursuing in life to make yourself happy? And does it honor God? I think so many of us who love Jesus are pursuing the wrong thing. Number two, we prefer temporary fixes over eternal truths. Meaning, do you look for temporary escapes or quick fixes instead of relying on eternal truths? I'll give you a few easy examples. I mean, do we prefer crash diets over consistent healthy habits? <laughs> like, that's just a really simple example. But at a deeper level, do we prefer vacations over God's call to regular rest and Sabbath? Do we prefer crisis prayer over persistent prayer? We go to God in crisis. We don't go to God when things aren't in crisis. Most of us prefer temporary commitments. We prefer earthly possessions. We prefer short-term mission versus long-term mission. And the word of God says, set your mind on things above. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth. So I think really prophetically, I have to even look at my own life and ask, do I prefer temporary or eternal? And most of us don't want to probably dive into this question too deep because it gets too deep too fast. Most of our life, we're building it on a temporary foundation. And then number three, we prioritize our comfort over God's call. This is what Jonah was doing with the plant, all three of these things. But what about you and me? Do we prioritize what we think will bring us comfort in life? And I think we do. We prioritize pleasure to purpose, don't we? And I don't want you to confuse because comfort can be a good thing. I mean, the Holy Spirit himself is called the great comforter. So I believe that when we are in the will of God and we are pursuing God, that he will bring about a supernatural comfort that we can't get anywhere else. But I do know that God's call gets sidelined all the time in the name of our own version of comfort. I don't know if you feel that. These things are disruptive. They should be. What am I pursuing? What am I preferring? What am I prioritizing? I can't measure how disruptive it will be in your life. But I just want to say I'm tired of preaching the same message to myself and to you. It's the same message. And it doesn't disrupt us when it should. Don't you think God was looking at Jonah and saying, how many times do I have to teach you the same thing? How many worms, whales, wind, how much wind do you need, Jonah? I mean, what, what do I have to do for you, Jonah? To get you to care about what I care about. Don't you know that there's 120 thousand people in that city that you're so angry at? Don't you know that plant that you wish you had back for yourself to give you comfort? I gave it to you anyway. I gave it to you and I took it away for the same purpose for you because I love you. Because I'm trying to change your heart, Jonah. Because I'm trying to show you that I'm for you. Because I'm trying to show you what I really care about and what I want you to care about. And so we have to ask ourselves, why did the story end 
and also many animals, question mark? Because it wasn't supposed to be, the next chapter wasn't supposed to be written by Jonah, it was supposed to be written by you. It's supposed to say there are 1.4 million people in Oklahoma City. Do you care about them? Because God does. Or do you only care about your preferences and your comfort and, and, and the temporary fixes of this world? Do you really want revival in your life or is it just lip service? That's a tough one. Do you really want revival in this church or is it just a nice thought? Do you really want revival in this city or is it just something that feels unreachable? The story ends unresolved with a reluctant, obedient, reluctantly obedient prophet who is still complaining to God after God had done so much again and again. Does that sound like anybody's life? The reluctantly obedient follower who's still complaining to God? after everything he's done, I do have to be honest today. We have to change. We have to change. We need to be disrupted. We have a carefully protected life that God is just asking, what are you pursuing? What are you preferring? What are you prioritizing? And this isn't a guilt trip. It's the thi- this is like, I th- I'm writing this this week, thinking about my life, going, oh man, God, I desperately do want to care about what you care about. Help me. Help me get there. So at the end of the day, I don't think I can preach it any more plain today. I believe you and me need disruption in our life. And we need to ask ourselves, what's the next chapter going to look like? Is it going to be another chapter of up and down frustrations with your faith? Is it going to be another chapter of getting angry about the dumbest things? Is it going to be another chapter about pursuing things to make us happy or comforts to, you know, give us some sort of temporary relief? comparing ourselves to others to feel good about ourselves, settling into temporal things instead of eternal. What's it going to be? What's the next chapter for you? Because here's what I know is God's love is better than all that. And the reason he kept chiseling, the reason he kept going after Jonah, the reason he didn't give up on him and he gave him chance after chance and he sent wind and, and whale and a worm to him is because God loved Jonah. It wasn't just about Nineveh. It was about him too. And God's story for you, it's about the big picture and it's about you. It's about revival in the land and it's about revival in your heart. He cares about both. And he'll go to any length, any crazy, wild thing to reach us. And that's what I love. That's what I love about the book of Jonah. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. So would you just, would you just stand? We're going to pray. And, and we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and for the ministry of Jesus to be taking place in this room today. Just praying disruption. Disruption. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to pray a prayer. Kind of like Jonah did when he's in the whale. I want to pray a prayer of thanks, but I also want to pray a prayer of hope. 
because we do have a revival hope. But first, God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for, for, for providing the wind, the whales, and the worms. Lord, you've pursued us. You've come after us. You've loved us beyond reason. You've given grace that knows no bounds. And you continue to give us more and more chances to just continue to come to you with all of our heart, to have a heart that longs after you, to have a fire in our heart that can never be quenched, that, Lord, it would be like a fire in our bones that cannot be contained. I pray in the name of Jesus for every person in this room that, Lord, there'd be a holy disruption that isn't about born out of guilt or shame, but it is one that is only built out of hope. Hope, Father, for our future, prophetically calling us into the next chapter of our life that will look different than the ones in the past because, God, you have something more in store. And so, Father, we pray for the things ahead, that, God, you have a great work not only for us to experience in our city, in our church, but, Lord, we do ask for a great work in our hearts, and we know you care about it. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And I just want to invite you to respond during worship with prayer. Maybe you're going to want to come and say something to the Lord today. You're going to come and bow at this altar and you're going to say, God, I want to pursue you. Is that what you need to do? Do you need to pursue God today? Or maybe you're going to say, God, I want to start preferring you. Maybe you want to be honest and just say, Lord, I don't know if I always prefer you, but I want to. So maybe it's a prayer to say, God, I will prefer you. I will put you where you belong as the object of my affection, as the object of my love, as the object of my preference. Or perhaps you want to say, Lord, I want to prioritize you today. I want to make you number one. I haven't. I prioritized other things ahead of you. And today is the day. Disruption has come. I will prioritize you in the name of Jesus. If you need to do that today, don't leave today without a little bit of disruption in your life. Isn't that why we're here? That God would provoke us, change us, transform us, call us into who he wants us to be. So, Father, we pray that we are not unmoved today, but that you would move, that you would, you would awaken souls today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Move as only you can. We love you. In your name, amen. Our prayer team will be here. This altar's open. Really, it's just a time for you to respond to what God is doing in your heart, to be obedient to it, to trust him with it, and to step into it. Come as you want. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.